What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land, all you Lasso fans, and welcome back to Peanut Butter and Biscuits, your Ted Lasso fan cast from the Front Row Network here on NPR Illinois. And we're here reviewing episode six, Sunflowers. And folks, if you wanted a packed episode, boy, howdy, did they have some fun times for you. I'm Jeremy Geckner here with uh, my co-host, Craig McFarland, as always. What's up, man? Don't worry about a about thing, thing. cuz <laughs> every little thing. It's gonna be all right now. Yeah. So I got to tell you the the meta ness of the way that they end some of these episodes this season. Mm-hmm. I think it is a direct, a direct response to some of our fan questions and fan <laughs> theories that are out there. And you're right, this was a packed episode. People saw the runtime at uh, an hour and three minutes yesterday, and they were really freaking out about that. And so there's gonna, a ton here to dive into, sir. Going to tell you guys, it zips by um, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think there's any any fat uh, to trim on this episode. So they definitely fill out the uh, hour and three minutes. But this is a this is very interesting. I mean, like, you know, when I hear Sunflower, I think of, uh, you know, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, because obviously a great song, song there by Post Malone and Swae Lee. Um, but, uh, you know, we're not doing uh, – we are doing sort of like a little metaphysical trip through Ted Lasso's brain here uh, with the helps of um, – some bad batch of Amsterdamian mushrooms, you would say. But um, this is this is such a, an interesting episode, Craig, because I think you're right. This is an amazing way to mid-cap the season here because there are a lot of anxieties that some of the fans have about where the stories are going to go and stuff. And I feel like this episode was the perfect palate cleanser to kind of give us a resolution to some of the anxieties that we've been feeling for these characters throughout this first part of the season. And it feels like this is a turn-the-corner episode. Well, what it does is it allows us to check in on a lot of our characters that maybe we felt have not been as served in the first part of the season. I mean, like just the team dynamics, just being able to see all of them together and trying to work through like where to go in Amsterdam, you know, (laughs) and to see that to finally have the, the payoff. And I know we try not to do spoilers up here, but we've been waiting for so long for that pillow fight to happen and it was epic and it was amazing you know to be able to get some of those characters but then also to see this growing relationship between jamie and roy this kind of mentor mentee relationship that's now turned on its head in this episode there was so much good in this episode it was so well shot and we knew from filming that they were in amsterdam for a good amount of time and Mm -hmm. so we knew that it was going to be a pretty large episode and they really packed it here yeah i mean you could call it a bottle episode in a way um you know they are yeah, kind of you know, like I stuck in one place here the ted and beard stuff 
uh that that really played like a bottle episode to me yeah yeah absolutely and there's so there's there's so much psychology going on here literally this whole thing is like one big story that then splits up into five separate stories or six separate stories um and then they all coalesce together again but i love the way that like going in between these i gotta call really really well the editing here um of this episode because everything flows just when you're starting to wonder like oh what's happening with higgins and will they cut right back to it or like oh man man, I really wanted to go back to Rebecca and like then right there, boom, they give it to you. This is some amazing editing in this. So this is episode six. So this would be what Mel this year. Um, yeah. So they, they flipped. And so AJ is doing the odds. Mel's doing the evens. And so she just crushed it, man. I mean, yeah. this, you know, like I love AJ. He won his Emmy for season one for the hope that kills you. And Mel's been nominated now for two seasons. So I'm really hoping that she gets some love too, for this show, especially if this is the swan song. Yeah, absolutely. Well, folks, you know, we normally do housekeeping and stuff up at the top here, but there's so much stuff to get into with this episode. Um, and Craig and I, you know, do have lives um, that we have to tend to occasionally. We can't just spend it all podcasting. So we're going to do well, Most of my life when I'm not podcasting is just talking about Ted Lasso talking about with it, yeah. other people. Yeah. So, I mean, really, it's all the same, right? Exactly. So we are going to do housekeeping, reviews, messages, and everything next week. And we've got a few other special little goodies uh, in in the mix here that we're going to be bringing you in the next week or two as well so stay tuned for all of those but there is no time to waste so craig it is time to jump into sunflowers let's do it All right, folks, so we are opening once again on the pitch uh, in a match as AFC Richmond is playing a friendly in Amsterdam against uh, AFC Ajax, um, which is going to become a joke later in this episode, of course. Um, but, you know, you might have thought that maybe after the speech that Ted gave about, you know, ripping up the sign and how they can't be ripped apart and stuff like that would give them a, a corner turn. Not so much because they lose to AFC uh, Ajax here 5 to nothing, 5 nil in this game. So they are still out of sync on the pitch if they have made peace with Zava leaving the team, so to speak. So they still can't quite seem to get it together. Um, Ted and Roy um, are lamenting and Beard are lamenting the language of soccer about how these exhibition matches are called friendlies and how like nothing about this is friendly, stuff like that. Um, then we cut up to the owner's box where the uh, IX owner apologizes to Rebecca for being such lousy host referring to the score, which is funny to me that it's just like my team is crushing you so much. I, I'm very sorry for that. Um, but, you know, Rebecca then tells her that uh, they've been very gracious considering all of that. Um, and so after the match is over, uh, don't uh, every little thing is going to be all right by Bob Marley uh, is playing over there. And I didn't get to check um, if that's like one of the typical standard songs of AFC Ajax. I think it might be, you know, like how Manchester City sings Blue Moon and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it might be something like that. I assume it is. And that's probably why they chose to have this friendly in the show right here in this uh, particular stadium and stuff. Um, but Rebecca states that even though it's a song about trying not to worry and stuff that it's actually a depressing song to her in that way um then down in the hall room locker uh locker room hallway we see jan Ma jan moss and uh, roy doing an interview where of course roy gives us our first tedism i believe of the episode um and everything like that um but then we get uh, kind of everybody trying to invite out for the night so rebecca invites higgins and keely to go out for the night higgins says that he's got a date in the red light district this is going to be a running joke throughout this episode um but it's pretty funny there um and then uh the keely 
tells her that Jack has invited her to some like Aurora Borealis that is supposed to be like the biggest of the entire time. Um, Rebecca is fine with this. Keely thanks Roy for doing the interview. Um, he kind of, I think, Craig, tell me your read on this, but I think he kind of overstates like how okay he is doing this interview. Like this doesn't sound like Roy's normal voice here when he's like saying no problem and stuff. Um, but he asks Rebecca where she's going, does not get an answer he's expecting and that angers him so much that he destroys a picture of Zava. So I'm assuming Zava played for AFC Ajax, one of his 14 mm-hmm. teams. Um, 2013 to 2013. Yeah, exactly. One year. He always plays just like one year with someone like that. Um, so yeah, and then after this, Ted and Beard notice that the team is really down um, in the bus and everything. So Ted decides it's time for a very rash decision and he declares there's no curfew for the night. Um, so all of this is there. Beard says it's a smart move, and he says that he needs it way more than the team does. Um, Jamie's pretty excited about this, uh, except Roy yells at him and says, nope, not you. We're going to train all night. Um, so he still seems pretty excited, but everyone is very excited. Uh, Higgins invites Will to go out with him, and then we roll on the title. So I did all of that very, very fast together there because literally that is like the only time we're going to talk about a group of scenes together that are not like in chronological order. So uh, Craig, whoo, lots of stuff there. What do you think? <laughs> we get a lot of subtext in this. I mean, just going all the way back to the beginning of the friendly, the fact that they're losing a match five to nil, and then they just look so disheartened. And, yeah. uh, you know, you get even from the coaches, but also the players on the field, when they get on that bus, they're so dejected. Yeah. And of course, that's why Ted decides that they need to go ahead and not have a curfew as well. I really enjoyed watching the interviews, the post-game interviews, because we could see Jan Moss kind of like, first of all, <laughs> nice to have him spotlighted kind of in his home turf yeah. and be able to see him responding to this reporter. Of course, Roy gives us his best Roy Kent, one of the best <laughs> lines of the season for him. And, you know, I just think that that context, that subtext between him and Keeley, he's basically, Keeley knows, she has said many times, she knows that Roy doesn't enjoy doing these things, mm-hmm. but he continues to do them for her. And then also, I love that line that Rebecca gives, and I'm actually probably going to save it for a Tedism, but you know, the the line about basically, well, she's going off with someone that cares, that, you know, actually has interest and cares about her. And you can see that that cuts Roy uh, in a way. Brett does a great job, particularly with his facial expression when that line's delivered. And it just allows for you to kind of feel for Roy Kent a little bit here. But yeah, man, this, uh, this just dives you right in. Yeah, exactly. And there's something else that I love about this is like, I think that this season is starting to firmly belong to Phil Dunster in a way because there's one thing about this and it's going to go throughout the entire episode here, but Jamie's exuberance throughout this entire episode is so freaking like it's intoxicating. Like you can't help but smile every single time he's on, on the screen in this episode. And it's funny because, you know, he's excited to go out in Amsterdam and stuff like that. And even when Roy yells at him and tells him to like come with him and stuff, he's still like jolly. He's still like smiling and happy and stuff. And I, I didn't expect that. And there's a, very uh, good reason for that and stuff like that but this is this is interesting though you're right because we get so much interplay here and what I love about this though Craig is that think about this as again like a capper on what we've seen for the first half of the season everybody's big issues are once again kind of laid bare right there Rebecca is feeling like she's alone even though she says she's okay with it Roy once again can't deal with the fact that you know his feelings with Keely are just very complicated inside his own brain but he can't seem to get out of his own way there Ted still probably doesn't feel like he belongs in this like coach's box and stuff like that. Beard and Roy are still trying to figure out how to get this team to play together. And the players again are just trying to figure out how to play together as a team as well in terms of 
like harnessing all the talent that they have. So in this short little like five to seven minute span here, we've encapsulated once again, all of the problems that we've been dealing with. And now we're going to deal with them in our own separate ways. Right. And that's why we also get the call back to uh, three little birds. You know, we get, yep. don't worry uh, about a thing. And Rebecca saying at the beginning of the episode, you know what, this is such a depressing song, but then we do start to unravel some of these things and we start to see a path forward for not only Richmond to make a run and to maybe be able to compete with West Ham and with Man City, but we also see development amongst our characters, whether that's Rebecca in a possible relationship or maybe possible relationships in the future. We're going to have to talk a lot about the mystery man today, yeah. right? And then uh, <laughs> we're also seeing, though, that Ted is coming to terms with the fact that he does have a purpose here. I thought that was huge. And we're going to talk about that, I know. But I'm yeah. getting ahead of ourselves. Let's just start to dive into these five or six or whatever different storylines you want to talk about. I was, trying to, I was trying to count them here real quick because I, I wanted to get that uh, one right. That we got one, two, three, four, five, six. We got six separate storylines that are going to be converging in and on each other here. Uh, some a little bit bigger than others. You know what, Craig? I'm going to leave it dealer's choice. Which of these do you want to jump into first? Because there's meat on all of these bones, baby. <laughs> We're going to have That's some time. time. I mean, you know, like, I think that people are going to be the most interested in Rebecca's journey throughout this episode. Mm. Although I would say that Colin and Trent give a run for their money. And yeah. maybe Roy and Jamie. I don't know. So, um, but I do think, let's talk about Rebecca uh, right up front here because she has has quite the adventure. Yeah, so this is this is a lot of really cool stuff. We're going to start with Rebecca's story. Boom. Sound effect, I guess. Um, so um, Rebecca, we find throughout this, she's walking alone in the city after she splits up with Higgins and, and Keeley there. She receives a phone call from Sassy, who says that she felt like something, some kind of queasiness in her belly and stuff, and that usually means that something's wrong. Um, and Rebecca tells her that she's actually is wrong this time, that nothing's wrong. Um, uh, bikes continue to whiz past her, though, as she's walking along the city, along the canal. But then we see this man on a boat on the canal and he notices her as he's talking on the phone um, and as she gets off the phone he whistles for her to notice him and he says that he just had to say something to this beautiful woman um, and as they're talking two more bikes go and literally knocks Rebecca off the bridge into the canal below so I love we get a little bit of like romantic comedy slapstick type of stuff here like this is straight out of like a Cameron Diaz movie um, but uh, her phone is lost uh, she laments this as she's trying to swim over there but the man uh, also just throws his phone in the canal i guess is some kind of show of solidarity and stuff like that but she asked him what uh, he was going to say before she fell and he said hilariously that he was going to tell her she's standing in the bike path so uh, could have avoided this whole thing but serendipity works in mysterious ways um so a little later though rebecca uh she has taken a shower in the man's uh houseboat here um her clothes are in the dryer but we see this three hours away from being dry so um and i gotta say craig this houseboat is nice. <laughs> this is really, really nice. I would totally live here. Um, but of course, our guy, he's not there. Um, we learn later that he left out of respect. You know, he doesn't want him to, she wanted him, or he wanted her to be comfortable, you know, not with like this strange guy in the house as she's taking a shower and stuff. So she explores a little bit. She sees a Dutch Air Force poster on the wall. We learn later that he is a military officer, or he was. Um, she also finds a room for a little girl um, in there, and she thinks this is all very sweet. Um, and then on the coffee table, notices a small pot of tea in a cup and a note that says that it is not drugged he promises which is again when you read all this out loud it could seem creepy but it is done so sweetly and stuff like that but she drinks it and thinks it's all good what's what's your read on these couple of scenes so far craig yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because like instantly, you know, you see her walking through the houseboat and she's clearly got 
uh, Tish on her mind, mm-hmm. she has the entire season. And so seeing things like the daughter's room, I'm not one to like jump into like, oh, she wants to immediately be with this man. And then this is the family <laughs> right. that she's got. But it is something that's kind of on the back of her mind, I mm-hmm. think, all the time as she's walking through. And yeah, you're right. This houseboat is really nice. You know, like we're mm-hmm. political nerds and we always hear so much about Joe Manchin's houseboat out in Washington, <laughs> D.C. And I'm telling you that this must be what it's like. But, you know, I, I also um, enjoyed all the little moments moments she had of exploring the space because that allowed her to feel comfortable in the space as well. And he comes down and he tells her that he's like, you know, you're already showering in uh, this random guy's boat. So (laughs) you don't want to necessarily feel uncomfortable. Everything that he does for her in my mind, uh, not only approaches it from a flirtatious angle, because clearly he's game for that, but it's Mm -hmm. also I feel like he's trying to provide a level of comfort for her. And that's exactly what Rebecca needed. And that's why I'm interested. And I know that we're going to talk more about her storyline. So if you want me to put a a pen in this for a minute, but do we ever revisit this gentleman or is he just uh, kind of this, like, I don't know, like this siren that she needed uh, at the moment. (laughs) And she's going to continue to be able to move on and be more comfortable in relationships. Yeah, the sort of clearly there's some there's also some Ted and Rebecca dynamics that happen throughout this. And we'll talk about that maybe when we get to Ted. But uh, I don't know what any thoughts that you had in kind of this first chunk of Rebecca's uh, story. It's interesting. I mean, like, you're right. There is like this sort of like oasis in the desert type of feel with this guy, you know, like she's kind of still aimless and stuff like that. She still doesn't quite know what to think of Tisha's stuff. And now all of a sudden here's this guy um, that, you know, comes seemingly out of nowhere. And when she definitely needs someone the most, you know, when she's like falling into a canal, (laughs) into a river, she, you know, has this guy who you're right, goes out of his way to be very respectful and to be very um, non-threatening and stuff like that. Like an, I got to say, uh, Sarah and I thought that like every time we were watching this, that he looked like a bald buff version of like the Property Brothers. I don't know if you were like figuring this out. <laughs> oh my it's like all I could say, all I could see is just like, ah, the other Property Brother. <laughs> it's like really nice and really buff. Um, but yeah, so, but I, I agree. I don't know if we're going to see him again, but I would really like to because he gives it a wonderful performance in this episode. So um, you're right though. Like when he comes back, uh, he says he even knocks on his own houseboat just to make sure it's okay to come in again. Like little things like that. Um, he's brought back some groceries and stuff. He fixes a cut that she has on her ankle and then he kisses it, um, the Band-Aid when he's done, which he says is a force of habit. You assume that's like his daughter um, that he does yep. that on and stuff like that. Um, he suggests having some brandy with the tea. And this is kind of where Rebecca is like kind of feeling this out, right? Like she is naturally skeptical of all of this kind of stuff, but there isn't anything inherently threatening about what this guy's doing. He's, again, there is a great sincerity, I feel, to every line delivery that he has that makes makes it just kind of like yeah sure let's do this and stuff like that so um he does offer to call her a cab too he's like okay if you're uncomfortable or anything i'll call you a cab you can have your clothes and you know nothing like that and everything but she did say you know yeah i'm hungry and everything like that so um she basically gives her a tub of clothes to choose from in the closet from his ex-partner um as we find out um and i love the line delivery it's not a tesism but she asks if uh, his partner is dead and he says unfortunately no. <laughs> does, like, that was a great boss. line delivery, by the Excellent way. Excellent line like, delivery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he's also there. He's, like, talking about giving her, like, a foot massage later. This is where she's definitely at her peak, like, uh, alarms raised moment and everything. But he literally tells her, he's just like, you know what? If you don't want it, fine. You could have there with tired feet and sober, and it doesn't affect me at all and everything. And all of a sudden, I, to me, Craig, it kind of felt like a challenge accepted moment from Rebecca, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I thought that like then is when she starts to um, flip and become kind of into this situation a bit more. And yeah. I do think it's because maybe it's a challenge and we kind of know that that's what Rebecca is in for. She's someone that uh, clearly is so successful, independently successful on her own, trying to get out of Rupert's shadow throughout a lot of this series. But uh, I don't think that there's many challenges that Rebecca Welton would turn down. No, exactly. And again, it's not like the, it's not unusual to be like skeptical of this situation here, you know? Right, like, especially someone's like asking you for, if you want to get a foot massage. I mean, that's weird, right? Like that's a little weird. pretty weird. But again, I, I, I got to look up the guy, the actor's name uh, eventually here because he is so good. And again, just like this, in this earnestness that with every line that he delivers that it just, it makes you even as the viewer feel at ease, you know? Like it does feel like a romantic comedy. So it's <laughs> just like this serendipitous meeting that is like exactly exactly what both of these people need. So um, it is interesting there. So Rebecca chooses this uh, nice, pretty pink flower dress. Uh, she says the dinner smells very good. I'm sure it does. This guy, despite his burliness and militariness, looks like he'd be an excellent chef. Um, again, this is like the like the romance novel standard of like a, of what every wo like woman wants in a man um, and everything like that, something none of us will ever live up to. So um, she does ask if there is a giant Dutch woman coming to beat her up for wearing her clothes because he actually says that um, his former partner is uh, was tall like her. And this is where we get some of his backstory where he says that she was unfaithful um, and that it wrecked him and that he almost destroyed their family uh, because of it, but that everything is uh, better now. Um, and he gives what's definitely going to be a Tedism, I feel, there. Um, but they share a drink and everything. And then uh, Rebecca calls out the music, which is actually the uh, Dutch singer Andre Hassas singing uh, She Believes in Me, which is a Kenny Rogers song. And I, I don't know about you, Craig, but I thought of this reaction as like when Ted tells her in season one that his first concert was actually Kenny Rogers. And I wonder yeah. if maybe Rebecca started listening to Kenny Rogers after that. I probably say, yeah, you're, you're you might be right there, and that's a really good callback, sir, because I forgot that myself. <laughs> I think I probably told this story when uh, we talked about Kenny Rogers before, but I sang for Kenny Rogers once ah! when I was in high school, and it was very funny. It was at uh, it was at this old venue, and we're kind of backstage, and we're kind of getting ready for the concert and stuff. And of course, we'd just been practicing on our own. We hadn't been practicing with the gambler himself, so <laughs> he he comes walking down the hall, and you know we're a bunch of high school kids that probably don't we probably wouldn't be able to pick kenny rogers out of a crowd anyway but the man had some work done as well and so he's walking <laughs> down the hall and we're kind of passing him as we go and then he stops and he just goes what you're not going to say hi to kenny rogers like, <laughs> like i mean it was like uh then all of us like turn around we're like oh whoa, we're sorry we're sorry you know but anyway so that is my Five second interaction with Kenny Rogers. Well, there you go. Direct correlation to Ted Lasso. Craig is basically in the show at this point. Um, but... You know what? That's uh, that's why we started this podcast because I knew Jason mm -hmm. or somebody must be a Kenny Rogers fan, and mm -hmm. so clearly mm -hmm. this is that is this this is that path that I went on. <laughs> to be able to get to this podcast for sure he knew in that moment when he saw kenny rogers that he would start a show about... what, did, what did beard say uh, about all the different possibilities in the universe yeah, we'll get to it later. beautiful possibilities yes uh, everything like that well what this turns into super sweetness here because the two of them actually sing the song together but in their respective languages so he's singing in dutch and she's singing in english and i gotta say he's got a pretty he's good voice, voice too man he's got a pretty good voice um they clearly like each other it's getting very 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 sweet um, and so they enjoy some dinner together. Um, he asks if she wants some water to sober up. She says it's probably a really good idea. She also says that it's really cozy in here. And he's been saying this phrase throughout this entire interaction uh, where, and I'm probably going to butcher it here, but I think it's a Herzla. 
um, is what it is um, in Dutch, I guess, is the language and everything. Um, but she keeps asking what it means at this point. And he says, like, it doesn't actually have like a direct translation uh, to English. But it, I, I, and I don't know, Craig, did you get this too? Like, I kind of viewed it like he was saying it was like a kind of a state of mind um, of mm-hmm. sorts, you know, like kind of a way of being and stuff like that. Um, basically, just kind of like, you know, feeling cozy is, is kind of a way of doing that and just kind of being at peace and at ease, which definitely Rebecca feels at the end of this episode. So, um, they do share a moment though as the dryer goes off um, they see that the clothes are dry but Rebecca in a baller move throws her water on the clothes uh, to start the dryer again because she's clearly not ready for this evening to end um, and this is great because then we get into a sequence later on but um, you know when they're dancing and stuff during uh, Higgins's big playing at the jazz club and stuff like that again they clearly like each other he does end up giving her the foot rub and everything but she falls asleep during it and like a perfect gentleman covers her up and closes the curtain and everything um until we next morning so what did you think of that whole Herzla and everything and her kind of like saying yeah we're gonna stay here and keep this going thing I mean, I think that it's her giving into some of her uh, inhibition. She's getting rid of some of her inhibitions here and being able to like kind of move forward. And so I like seeing that growth in her because she is always someone that is kind of cautious and reserved. And I think being able to come out of her shell is such a great thing for her. I mean, look at like look at the the difference between one of the first major episodes that we see her in is her trying to put on that gala, mm-hmm. and Keely is trying to be the one to be like, okay. We got you. We're going to get you through this. We're going to take those photos. You're going to look fierce, you know? And then she doesn't have Keely in this episode. Right. She has Sassy for a little bit. She has a little bit of her support systems on the bridge, but then she loses her phone. So she has no Sassy. She has no Keely. She has no Ted. So in a way, she should be freaking out because she doesn't have that support system, but she still allows herself to go forward, right? And so she allows herself to enjoy this night a lot. Yeah. And uh, to be able to relax and let her hair down. And I just love that for her character. Yeah, absolutely. And so we uh, cut then to the morning as the end of this story. Uh, the man is making breakfast and uh, she asks if they dot, 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 um, implying what you think it does. The man actually, he sort of like hesitates a little and then he says no. And again, like I'm not viewing the, this makes more uh, sense with his final line uh, in this scene, but um, he asks if she wants breakfast. She says no, that she has to get going and everything. And then they share this absolutely romantically adorable moment where they realize they never actually learned each other's names and so this to me Craig this reminded me of like a How I Met Your Mother episode where Ted Mm -hmm. is at the wedding with Victoria and stuff and they're like no we're not going to tell each other's names we're going to have this great night and then it'll just be done it'll be this perfect night and it's kind of that same thing you know so that that kind of like peaks the romanticness and she leans in and kisses him and stuff Um, she leaves and stuff like that and as she's leaving um, she uh, he looks down and says did we and pauses he gives out this big sigh and he says oh yes we did and again just the romance is off the charts here craig this is romantic as hell this could be its own movie right dear dear listeners uh jeremy actually has in here big bold letters romantic as hell romantic as hell (laughs) i I don't know what your definition of hell is but um yes i guess it's romantic it's very romantic Uh, no i all right so did they or did they not? I am on team. They did not, but no. that essentially they came together and um, in in a moment they yeah. sort of fell in love. They they had that connection, and then maybe now that's why I think we don't see him again. 
Yeah, I don't think so either, honestly. I think this is definitely this moment in time that is, again, just exactly what Rebecca needs at this moment to kind of rediscover herself and rediscover that she has worth aside from her phone, aside from all the things that the commitments that she has to do, all the things that like overtake her life, that just her is enough to be appealing to a random person and that just her is enough to make a connection with anybody, you know, like, and that, I think that's something that she needed. And the mystery of him not knowing that she's the owner of AFC Richmond mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like, maybe he does know that. I don't know. We didn't get that part. But in my mind, here's this Dutch guy who uh, we don't see any signs of a lot of like football or anything like that in his boat. And so, like, I would say, you know, for her, that's probably liberating as well to not be under the microscope, to not be like all of, of the uh, thoughts that people have, the perceptions that people have of her. Are, are something that you, she doesn't have to deal with, with this random kind of mystery guy. And so because we don't learn the names, that's why I think that this is a moment in time. I could be totally wrong. I mean, look, the, and, the, you know, call me on it if I am. But the Ted Becca people is... are going to hate this guy. I'm sure. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They're gonna. I think they're going to see, you know, the, the value of this. But you're right, though, Craig. I think that it's like. I, I, his line specifically at the end, I think, is you're right. It's not a thing about sex. It's that I think it's reclaiming that true connection doesn't need to come from that. You know, like mm. they they connected so deeply and so uh, uh, profoundly that it didn't even need that. And so that's what his oh yes we did is just like man that was a human deep connection that they both felt. And now who knows if they'll ever feel it again. This is going to be the longest episode in the history of ever. We probably should start to move on yeah. uh, and we will, we will definitely hit Rebecca again uh, in future episodes, but I'll give you the opportunity now to pick. Let's see where you want to go next. You know what? I'm going to go with an easier one here. I'm going to go to our boy Higgins and William. Uh, I'm going to skip uh, okay. down to them because not a ton of stuff in this episode. But again, I've been waiting for Higgins to really kind of get some meaty, meaty stuff this season. And I think this is kind of where it is. And I love that William is the one who's there. There's a really, really funny moment where, you know, the, again, the team is deciding where to go. And Higgins says that he's taking William to be, he becomes a man tonight. And again, they're all just like, no, well, they're no, going no. To the red light district and they so are and he going. said that so of course of course that's what they're gonna think you know exactly it's also, what everybody who, is who calls him william what what is will. this just yeah. call him okay. will 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 the kit man will kit man uh, <laughs> everything like that um so yeah so he's taking colin they, they do go to the red light district um and he asks um, i love this because will actually asks him like if everything is all right at home while they're walking down there and everything like that was a really fun little fast thing but then higgins points out why he's there and he points out a monument to the american jazz musician uh chet baker um who actually died on that very spot where they are um and he basically talks about and this is going to come up later in Ted's part, uh, Ted's part of the story as well, where he talks about that Chet had his demons, um, but that it still helped him. But he was still able to, you know, make beautiful things. You know, he's still able to make beautiful music and stuff like that. Obviously going to come back when we talk about Van Gogh later in this episode. Um, but, you know, he basically says like he's going there because he died right there on that spot and that they're going to pay their respects. And then he agrees that they both can all agree that the moral of the story is that drugs are bad, <laughs> which is funny to say and kind of 
of the free drug capital of the world of Amsterdam, but hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> so basically then uh, Higgins takes Williams to William Will to a jazz club, um, and he notices uh, Will does a couple making out in the corner. They're going to come back in a little bit, but a jazz band named The Cartel comes out to play, and uh, I love this because Higgins starts to quote a Miles Davis quote to Will, but he shushes him as he's like so transfixed by the music, and Higgins looks very, very proud of this. So um, what do you think of like these first couple of scenes here before we get into uh, Higgins, the jazz musician? I really like the I like the play that they did because when he's on the bus and when they're going, you think like, what is Higgins taking him to the red light district for? But of course it's jazz. And yeah. I mean, like, you know, this <laughs> this idea that um, jazz jazz has always been kind of like in this subculture of perceived debauchery and all of this. And so, of course, there's a jazz club here and he wants to be able to experience that and to bring in Chet Baker, uh, you know, someone that I think that will get a lot more listens uh, after this episode mm-hmm. is done as well. I think that that's really cool, too, because uh, we certainly as fans like to dive into the minutia of this uh, particular show. And I think that that's really neat as well. I love that Will, you're absolutely right. I love Will's reaction when he kind of shuts down Higgins because he just wants to listen. And I think that that probably for Higgins is the best thing that could have possibly happened from this night. Yeah, I mean, he talks, uh, he does some religious iconography and what I'm going to assume is a tedism for both of us um, in terms of language. And it is kind of like a converting, you know, someone to this amazing, you know, religion of jazz music and stuff like that. Um, and the fact that he does it and it's there is, you're right, because that kind of stuff, music can change people's lives. So um, later on, though, Higgins, he starts air basing along with the band and the lead singer notices um, and asks if he plays. And I love this that, like, you know, Leslie Higgins, he does not want to, like, say anything. And Will just, like, like jumps in like really really fast just like yes he does play he's really really good do you know chet baker stuff like that like he's just like you could tell like he's just completely in on like the jazz part of all of this and stuff and so higgins is invited up to play with the band and he slays it people like that and i'm going to assume this is really jeremy swift playing because of course he's an amazing mm-hmm. musician yeah, go sure listen to our interview with him um but yeah he's playing the uh, jazz standard let's get lost which takes turns into a whole sequence with all six of our stories so you know any final thoughts on these who oh i don't actually know this do you chet baker put it together (laughs) there you go good job chet baker i mean of course it's a jazz figure it's been done a million times but i believe chet baker was the the person who originally did let's get lost so well there you go that would make all the sense in the world and nothing happens by accident uh any final thoughts on their stories here (laughs) <laughs> final thoughts on this i just think uh it's great to see jeremy switch in his element it's great to see more of will the kitman i love that he's explaining the night to his mom when they're about to get on the bus and then like at the very end he's like and then this really nice couple invited me to a threesome yeah. you know it's just like um <laughs> so weird relationship just, you have with your mom there will <laughs> i absolutely i absolutely love that um so much so yeah do i get to pick who's next i think you do All right, because you have them right underneath and because I think that this is, um, in a lot of ways, and I I don't mean this as a pun at all. To me, this is really Billy Harris's, like, this is his coming out in a way. Like, I mean, he shows you his acting chops so much in this, in these scenes with Trent Krem. And James Lance, too, really just brings it. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. honestly, Mm -hmm. like, I I understand that we don't have, like, 55 Emmy nominations to give. But, (laughs) you know, in a way that Tahib was able to secure an Emmy nomination because of Sam's role and Sam's work uh, last year, I can maybe see Billy Harris really kind of 
uh, able to jump in there. Now there's so much competition, all of that. I mean, gosh, Apple is going to be cannibalizing itself with shrinking over there. <laughs> For as real well. though. But I'm just, you know, I, I just think that Billy Harris in these scenes really, really just jumps off the page. So let's go into Colin and Trent. Yeah, exactly. So this is a uh, kind of, a, a playoff of what the team was doing as well. So like there is a part where the team is deciding whether what, when they want to go out and stuff, what they want to do. Colin excuses himself because he says he ate some bad fish or pickled herring. I think he says it is, which, yeah, of course uh, I've never had it myself, but it sounds disgusting. Um, but after that, he actually sneaks out while they're arguing about what else to do. I believe that's when they're arguing about what to eat. Um, so from that Colin, he goes to a gay bar named prick uh, P R I K. Um, so, um, and he's uh, got this, hood up and everything he's still there he's not quite comfortable he asked for a beer first asked for vanilla vodka which ugh, anyway um, and then he asked for a beer um and then he slowly removes his hood he's still a little nervous but he's starting to get a little you know comfortable and stuff he asks the bartender if he knows who he is and the bartender very uh, coyly says to him he's like look tonight you can be whoever you want to be um and at that moment, he really kind of feels like he's going to be very at ease here. Um, but then Trent is behind him. Um, and while, uh, you know, we don't see him yet, Bill or uh, Colin doesn't see him yet. Uh, the bartender tells uh, Colin about a Thunder Dong <laughs> party that's happening later on. Excellent name. Really love branding here uh, at PB&B. Um, so, um, but after that, though, he notices Trent there. And this is when Colin's defenses go up again. And he quickly kind of feigns that he's like in the wrong place. You know, he, he first asked for a beer for his work colleague. Um, and then, you know, he notices like, oh, wait, did you say Thunderdong? Oh, I'm in the wrong place and everything like that. The bartender tells him like this come, this happens all the time and stuff like that. So Trent runs after him. And even though Colin is really trying to get away very fast and again, Craig, most of the times in this episode, like bikes stop people from doing things. <laughs> so I'm imagining there's a lot of bikes in Amsterdam. Um, but Trent basically tells him like um, that he's already knows that he's known for four months and then or for months and that he hasn't said anything. And then what I think is maybe my favorite line delivery of this episode, though, he says, you know, I must have a good reason for that. Right. And this is where Colin and Trent fully understand each other and I had inklings of this, you know, Craig, that Trent might be also gay himself. Um, and this is clearly in a moment, not only just like a revelation moment for not only Trent's character, but for each other, that they're both not alone in a way, definitely for Colin. You know, and, and like, OK, so we talked about this after the Olas. Um, and, you know, I, I'm kind of surprised in like the fact that we didn't mention that this is a possible storyline. And I think I was trying to think about it today, like when I was watching through this another time. And I almost think it's because we think of Trent Krim, the professional, like yeah. that is clearly the, the standard that has been given all the way through season one, season two. And now we're finally trying to get to really know him in season three, but like, He's always talking about work. So, of course, we thought about it as a journalistic side of things. Like, was he going to out Colin? And, of course, he's not going to out Colin. But no. at the same time, like, that's where my mind went. And I didn't even think about that as a possibility, um, really, to be completely honest with you. So it, it makes total sense for the character to be able to kind of shepherd what Colin's going to be going through. And, gosh, man, 
the the scene on the canal holy moly yeah well and again like there's there's this wonderful sense now go back and watch all those scenes where trent notices colin after Uh that episode you know where he's making the joke about you know uh sleeping with zava or something like that he's like no i'm telling you he's mine and these looks now aren't so much a and you're right like we think of it journalistically those looks aren't more so much of like a huh i know something that they don't it's really more of a kind of like he's trying to figure out what Colin is at this moment, you Mm -hmm. know, and like what his like whole standard is. And of course we're going to learn that. So you're right. Like later Colin and Trent, they are sitting by the canal um, and Trent tells him about how he came out to his wife for the second time. (laughs) And then the second time she finally believed him and that now they're closer than ever. So right there, Craig, there's, there's a lot to unpack just in those two lines from James Lance um, because you got to imagine like he said this once before to his wife and she apparently didn't believe him. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'm wondering in my head, it's just like, did she leave him after that? And she just thought it was something else. Did they stay together and she didn't believe him? Like, you know, like there's so many things that you can uh, try to think about there. Um, but she, he does say that after the second time, now they're closer than ever. Um, and uh, Colin asks about his daughter and he says that she's um, also never been happier. Um, and so, you know, and of course we did know Trent had a daughter because of course, Ted made um, a special uh, biscuits for Trent Grimm's daughter, I think all the way back in season one. Um, uh-huh. Or no, no, I think it's season two. I think that was season two. Uh, no, I thought. No, you're right. Season one, one is when Higgins yeah. comes back. Yeah. At the end yep, of the season. Exactly. Um, so we didn't know he had a daughter and stuff like that. But um, Trent then tells Colin, like, it was really hard to hold on to that secret, um, but that it must be even harder for him because he's not a professional athlete. Um, and before we get into that, do you want to talk any about that line of dialogue before we get into Colin's whole speech here? Because it's it's loaded. Yeah, I think we learn more about <laughs> Trent Cram personally in a few lines than we have really in three seasons of the show. And um, to kind of peel back uh, the curtains that – you know, he came to this and I guess it makes sense because he leaves the independent at the end of season two. And now he's trying to still just be that wallflower, be that observer on the team. But we see him kind of come out of his shell a little bit in the past episode in signs when he tries to give some advice uh, for a struggling team. Right. Yeah. And then, but even then he shuts himself down and he's like, no, you're right. That wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of goes back to observation and observing. But I think it's this personal connection to what he knows Colin is going through that allows him to then share part of himself with Colin and really with us as an audience for the first time. And so to me, it's just uh, this scene. Oh my gosh. Like it was just so beautifully done. And, you know, like we're, we're talking here as two straight guys, right? right. Like, um, but this, the, the thought that someone can't just be themselves. Mm. So saddens me you know like i've been able to be myself my entire life and so i just thought that these two in explaining um coming out to family members or uh having to still be guarded and have these two lives and this ache that colin feels that we'll talk about here in a second i just thought it it was so well done and um you know i think it's going to touch a lot of people and 
man, Billy Harris, you just talk about him. Yeah. Like, I know you wanted to talk about uh, Trent as well, but uh, we got to <laughs> get into Billy's monologue here. No, I mean, I think Trent, I think, is going to continue to have really good moments throughout this season. Um, he's already had a bunch, but you're right. I think we are just at the very start of uh, Colin's story um, here this season. You know, I know, you know, we got a little bit with, you know, learning that he was gay, but this, you know, this isn't going to be an exact verbatim speech, but he basically tells Trent from that comment, he says that his whole life is really two lives, um, his work life where no one at the club knows. And he's he says this key phrase, Craig, which broke my heart a little bit, where he says he'd like I like to think that they wouldn't care, but it's just easier that way. And that's mm -hmm. like, man, because I always thought to myself, the way Ted has changed these guys, the way that they are so open about so many different things, you would like to think that they wouldn't care. Um, and I would be inclined to say that they wouldn't care. But then again, it's still professional athletics and there's still a lot of stigma around, you know, gay athletes in male sports. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it is still there. Um so either way, though, he says that it's just easier. Um, but then there's also his dating life. And he says that some think that it's hot or say that they don't care, but eventually they get tired of it and they move on. Um, so then he talks about Dr. Sharon helping him realize that he has an ache for both of his lives to be his only life. And he doesn't want to be a spokesperson and he doesn't want a bunch of apologies. All he wants is for when they win a match to be able to kiss his fella the way the guys get to kiss their girls, <laughs> which is you know, and there's a Tedism that I'm not going to do at the end there um, because we're going to save that one because that one also really broke my heart a bunch. But mm -hmm. man, what do you like before the end of this scene? Like, what do you what what were you feeling as, you know, Billy is delivering these lines and Colin is just bearing his soul about what he is and what he can't feels like he can't be? You know, and then uh, I, I know you didn't get there quite yet, um, but when the bells are ringing and Trent talks about Anne Frank, you know, it's this show does such a good job of not necessarily painting parallels because, you know, of course, Anne Frank's situation, uh, completely uh, horrific and, uh, and so much more life-threatening, but in a way like the, there is an analogous like relationship between mm. Colin having to hide, right. And having to hide who he is um, because he doesn't know what's on the other side of that. Like yeah. he doesn't know if he's going to have some kind of, violence uh or if he's going to have uh you know if he's going to be thrown out and cast aside from richmond because of this if he's going to lose friends and relationships and so mm -hmm. that's what the ache that he's talking about and again I, I i clearly am not speaking from any kind of personal experience here but as someone that's observing this and seeing it from a point of view of someone that isn't gay like i this grabbed me in a way and, and helped me better see into that world and it just made me so sad right yeah. um and it made me so happy that now he's found trent mm -hmm. because i do think that that is going to be like almost a mentor type of relationship if colin wants it to be that way yeah. um and i hope that you know our arc we talked about it all the way back at uh in the first episode and in, in uh smells like mean spirit like i really hope that he's able to uh, have this uh, coming out and or maybe it wasn't mean spirit was that the third episode or so i'm sorry it's, yeah all I, think, starting to run I think something already. like that but it's somewhere early in the season yeah but it was earlier in the season for yeah, sure yeah but i i've been saying this to sarah like if there's if we are going with the major league moment here if we are going where they are on a path to winning the premier league who wins that premier league is an interesting idea isn't it because i always thought that yeah it's got to be jamie's or it's got to be danny's I would really love it if Colin 
and all of this ends up like winning the big game against not only either just the Premier League, but maybe against Man City or something like that, or if it's against them. Because like, you know, they made a special like purpose of showing his jersey when Zava wasn't there. You know, like it's him that's in the game now. It's him that was benched when Zava came there and he had to deal with that. Now he's in there and people are like, Hughes for Zava. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know, like it's one of those things now where we're setting it up where he is a strong, capable man if he can be who he truly is, if he can find a way to reconcile those things. So I think that this is only just beginning, and you're right, there's a great relationship now with Trent. I'm hoping it keeps going. I'm hoping he doesn't shut it out, um, but it seems at the end of this episode where he you know, taps his arm while they're all singing on the bus, it definitely seems like something has begun, begun here um, and stuff like that. So this is an amazing, amazing part of this episode, um, and you're right, it's just... Whew, everything about it is uh, is pretty intense. So we've got uh, three more left here. Um, I think that the two are clearly the media. So I think we're going to go with the team here for a little bit. Um, <laughs> and then we'll dive into Jamie and Roy and then, of course, Beard and uh, Ted. Um, but the team, this is kind of just some fun stuff. You know, like we got a lot of nice little uh, just interplay between them. But, you know, I, I called it from the very first time, uh, Craig. <laughs> it's like when they were sitting in that lobby, like the very first shot, I was like, I leaned over to Sarah and I was like, they're never going to leave this hotel. <laughs> I can feel it. They're like they've got a free night. There's no curfew. They're in like the do whatever you want capital of the world. And they are just, um, they're just not going to be able to like do this. So, you know, we start there um, as the team gathers there in the hotel lobby. They discuss ideas for the night. Richard says that um, he uh, the only sensible thing is to take a train to Paris, which, of course, of course, he would say that. Um, but Sam actually speaks up and he says that his dad told him to do a boat tour of the canal. Um, Bumba Catch says that <laughs> I love this. Like, I love, like, the mythos that we're getting around Bumba Catch right now because he talks about going to The Hague in the International Criminal Court and then, like, very mysteriously goes and asking some questions. <laughs> like, I just mm-hmm. absolutely love all this um but of course danny uh wants to see a tulip only one because he thinks that seeing a whole field of tulips would be just way too overwhelming um so all that and of course zero wants to go see a live sex show because amsterdam that's what we're doing here so you mean van damme yeah, Van Dam, of course. Yes, I was wondering if I could start calling him Zero again or not, but he still no, did he refer to Van himself Dam. that way. Yeah, so Van Dam wants to go to the live sex show, and I love this too. They asked Trent what he wants to do um, and stuff like that, what he thinks they should do. Again, there's like this blending here. Trent is really starting to become a part of this team, um, but he talks about how they have a bunch of museums in Amsterdam, and actually that this night is one of the nights where they all stay open really, really late. Which, of course, Craig is going to come into factor later in Ted's story. Um, why he's able to go to the Van Gogh Museum late at night. So um, the team doesn't like that, though. But uh, Sam, of course, just suggests their typical movie night in. Um, and again, not quite there. They're shrugging. The team all shrugs off the implication of Higgins taking Will to the uh, red light district and stuff. And so then Isaac asks Jan, since they're on his home turf, like what they should do. And he says his cousin is DJing a party all night. Um, this is where Colin excuses himself, but he says that the party is actually two hour bus ride away. So again, they're back at zero. Um, and a uh, waitress actually asked if they wanted drinks earlier. And now Isaac is like, yeah, we need that. And then he, for some reason, asked for a giant stack of napkins. Which... That way they can vote. Ah, look at that. That's what he's asking those for. Yeah. I didn't even capture that. Look at that. Well, yeah. what do you think of this first scene with the team here? 
I just love that they all have like these divergent ideas. And I was totally with you. I was like, they're not leaving this lobby. Yeah. And God, we're going to get the best payoff of that ever. Yeah. And like, I was not so expecting excited. that. I was not uh, expecting that at all. When it came up, like, cause Sam kept talking about movie night and like, you know, I just put in our peanut butter and biscuits, Facebook page, movie night or pillow fight um, <laughs> to bring that back. And man, what a payoff. So did your mind go there though? Or were you surprised? No, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I, I could act like I'm smart and say that it did, but not at all. Um, but you know, I, uh, I just love like all these different things they could be doing. And it's all like the stereotypical things. Like you could have culture or you could go, uh, you know, like you can have the guys night out or you can go to the private party or whatever. And I just, it, it's so funny because they had so many different ideas, but what I love about all these scenes is that Isaac really reasserts his, uh, ability yes. to be the team captain yes and i love that sam continues to call him captain and stuff like that you're right like he's still very much the leader of this team which again craig begs the question from the trailer why does sam have the captain armband later in the season i'm thinking more that cola that uh isaac is probably going to get injured or something <sighs> like that or maybe he just comes off the pitch and you know the captain there has to always be a captain on the pitch that's so, true um I, i'm i'm reading less into it than i was uh certainly when we got that teaser way back on valentine's day or whenever that was <laughs> a million but, years ago <laughs> uh, but yeah it's, it does certainly seems like a million years ago but no i uh, i'm with you like i just think that this is and, and that's what i love about this episode is that we really didn't get a ton from the team because we were introducing these other characters i mentioned shandy and how mm -hmm. uh, i understand her role but I, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of how much time that was diverting away from people like isaac and sam yeah uh, that i wanted to be able to see you know and so this episode really helped fill some of that bucket that i needed uh from the team camaraderie standpoint and to be able to see them all interacting together yeah and they definitely give it to us on overload here so um when we come back to the team they're taking secret ballots we have nine votes for the sex show we have nine votes for the party and one vote for tulip which again, just individual tulip can we just talk about like <laughs> freaking christo here is so funny the way he just Isn't like for uh, this season you know because like in the uh, first season he comes and he's just he's just sunshine right yes. he's just uh, when everybody else is down he's just sunshine and then in in season two of course he's got the earl moment um and then we don't necessarily focus on christo too much but like he's kind of becoming the class clown a little bit a little in bit. season three or is that just like has that always been there and i just didn't see it as much or I mean, is it like intentionally writing him in a way that just kind of makes him the dopey the dopey football i know because this was like just very funny the way he's just like oh somebody voted for tulip that's great <laughs> like dude you wrote it in spanish and he goes someone wrote it in spanish <laughs> like again like very earnest like his oldest like, friend and stuff like that yeah. i don't know like maybe it was always there audience let me know um for sure yeah i don't but, know if there was uh, this level of like i don't know like joey from friends level kind of like stupidity or something like that but um i don't know like it seems a lot more like yes he's kind of like more in his goofiness element here like you know he's just maybe it's just a comfort thing you know like because he did come into the team late in that first season um so i don't know you know maybe it's one of those things but um either way isaac says that the uh the decision has to be unanimous so they want to discuss the two options that tied so sam argues for the party route zero uh i'm sorry van damme uh, still argues for the sex show route um but jan basically uh stops this because he gets the waitresses to put the final nail in the sex show coffin by talking about how tired the people are in these shows and everything like that um so the party ultimately wins out 
everybody's celebrating they're about to get on the bus but richard says um that they should probably eat first um and everybody's like oh yeah yeah yeah. what do we want to eat and isaac is so frustrated because he sees where this is going that literally the arguments start all over again because no nobody is going to choose a a food that's going there together any thoughts on this before we get into the uh final couple scenes here yeah, I, uh, I I just love that, like, even when they think that they have a plan, they still don't have a plan. And so it just, <laughs> it kind of like, in a way, I, I guess it's the, it, is this the writer showing us that even something as simple as figuring out where they're going to eat, this team is not on the same page on everything? Like, not to take it from like, because this is kind of a goofy little, like, this is a, a nice breath of fresh air in a lot of the other storylines that we're seeing around it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like the com it plays with the comic relief, but there's some, uh, you know, undertones here that they kind of just can't quite get on the same page yes. until they do. Right. Yes. No, you're and, right. And that, and that turns that around and maybe that's going to turn around the fortunes of this team. Cause it clearly seems like at the end of this episode, yeah. this team is ready to go on a run. Yeah. Right? This is, this is, I think you're absolutely right. The perfect metaphor about how, even though they're all together, even though they all like each other and like each other's company, they still cannot quite row in the same direction. You're right. And so this is kind of, and it takes Sam showing the leadership and stuff like that to get them there. But then, you know, and there's a lot of stuff about what Isaac says about them too. So like, as we come back, the team, they're continuing to argue over food. Um, Danny says, you know, we're here in Amsterdam. We should try Dutch food um, and stuff like that. And Richard literally stands up and yells as loud as he can. As a Frenchman, I would rather die. Which is absolutely hilarious. Again, I love that these guys are getting so many great moments and Isaac has had enough. He yells this amazing speech about how they're all at crossroads and how, how can they, how can they get, get past all of this division and stuff like that. And it, it really feels like a William Wallace pre-battle like speech type thing from a movie. Um, but Sam in this moment has an idea about how they can actually settle all of this tension and all these arguments that are having. He writes it on a paper. It for some reason takes a very long path around to Isaac. Did you notice this? Like Sam definitely could have just handed that to Isaac. But he, like, No, it's got to go through the team, man. That's true. That's true. It's teamwork. I like that. I like that. But Isaac looks at it. He gives him a very firm nod. And of course, once we come back to the team, Jan Moss, uh, Van Damme have uh, come to the center of the room and we get the pillow fight. <laughs> it's the whole Movie pillow night or fight. pillow fight. And do you I'll remember, you, Craig, what, said, what, did, what did Ted say? One time and that's it. Like I, this is this is such a good payoff to us fans. Oh, like, this Long-term is storytelling people. <laughs> 100% fan service through and through. I am so here for it. If anybody complains, uh, you know, write me a letter. I don't care. Like I, <laughs> I loved every second of this. Like they're just tearing up that lobby. Like the servers oh, are just like laughing. Yeah, it's and, done. And, you know, of course they're like feather pillows as well. Like, <laughs> oh God, everything about this. Like I was just smiling the entire time I was watching this. Yeah, because there's also this like incentive. Like there is some like aggressiveness and some tension between them. So get it out like this, you know, like hit each other with some pillows a little bit. <laughs> like get the aggression part of it out and then just have fun. And remember, and it kind of reminded me about what Roy tells Isaac um, um, back in season two, when he takes him to the street uh, game and stuff like that, where he says, like, you're playing a game, like, remember to have some fun and stuff like that. And so I think, like, it's an important moment for the team to remember that they do have everything they need to win. They just need to, as Ted says at the end, have each other's backs and remember to have fun. And I think that is a perfect analogy and a perfect metaphor. And again, I think it's going to be pillow fight every single trip from now on. It has to be right. 
going on a long walk here. You know, they've bought into this lasso way clearly. I mean, look at the, their reaction to Ted ripping the believe sign in the mm -hmm. last episode. But I just think that like here we have a situation where uh, clearly in the past on these away games, they still haven't done this. I think that this was the first pillow fight. Um, and Ted mentioned it kind of jokingly, but Ted's not around to remind them of that. They just independently decided that that's what they were going to do. And so yeah. I just think that, again, it's just showing how much Ted has become the true leader, the true manager of this team, even when he's not present necessarily. Yeah, and I absolutely feel you, man. This team is going to go on a run. They are ready. Um, Jamie is ready, I think, and I think everyone is ready to really take it to the Premier League now. And there's a very specific reason, but we will get to that in a little bit. Approximately 10 hours later. Um, 10 hours later. Hey, guys, we're back. <laughs> Hey, so we took a little bit of a break because yeah. this episode deserved it, and now we're back. Yeah, so if we sound a little different, that's why, because we jumped 10 hours into the future, because there's too much stuff to talk about with this episode. All right, um, but we're going to dive right back in here. Um, so we got to, through most of these uh, six tales interweaving here, but we're going to jump now into the last two, and we're going to start here with Roy and Jamie, um, which is... Maybe my favorite part of this episode, Greg, I'm not going to lie to you, uh, because there's just so much fun that happens between them, but also some more depth that happens as well, don't you think? Absolutely. I love that, like, this this mentor-mentee relationship, but then it's turned on its head in this episode with Jamie teaching him how to ride a bike. I mean, how... <laughs> How adorable is that? I mean, how great is that? Uh, and I've got a story there too. I have all these stories, right? All the time. Yeah. I uh, didn't know how to ride my bike until I was like 13 years old or really? something like that. And so um, my best friend, uh, Kirk, he taught me how to ride a bike because I was riding rollerblades around town. Because well, for yeah, some man. reason, I felt I like the balance or whatever just worked better for me. So well, obviously also you watch Brink on Disney channel and you had to, you know, 1000% <laughs> Brink was a huge influence in my rollerblading for sure. So anyway, so I, I didn't know how to ride a bike. And so finally Kirk is just like, buddy, here's the deal. I just want to go faster than you can go on rollerblades. So we got to do this. And so like literally just like Jamie Tart teaching Roy Kent, he, held the bars for me he did it the whole thing and then now guys it's uh, it really is just as easy as riding a bike because to this day i do love that as a mode of transportation so shout out to kirk thank you so much and actually shout out to kirk twice because he yes. sent us some amazing gifts from his 3d printer uh, which you can see if you go into the peanut butter and biscuits facebook page you like how i plugged that in the middle of all this too <laughs> yeah but let's talk about yeah, in the middle Let's of Roy Jamie and Jamie's and story here, we're just doing a lot of plugs all over the place. Um, but so this this whole thing is really is great though because like Jamie just has this amazing like youthful exuberance that just really goes throughout the whole thing because he's very excited to tell Roy all of these like things about the city because hey, newsflash, he knows a lot about this city. Um, you know, he's just sitting there doing all these uh, little things, talking about how it got its name, like how it went back to like the 13th century and stuff like that. Um, and it, again, it's just like Roy. 
Roy is meaning this to be like a, a hard training type of thing. Like, no, Jamie, you have to sacrifice your fun night out so that you can train and get better. But Jamie's just like, no, nah, man, I'm having a blast anyway, just jogging through Amsterdam with you. Um, but I do love he uh, calls out the uh, the tiny bridge. He says you're going to see this, the, like the world's uh, uh, thinnest apartment um, or apartment building or something like that. And then he says that uh, he points out the bench from the movie The Fault in Our Stars. And this whole time, it's just painfully clear that like Roy cannot keep up with him, um, which is pretty, pretty fantastic and stuff. So eventually, though, Roy begs him to like take a break and stuff. And he asks him how he knows so much about the city. And this is where Roy admits that he's never actually been to Amsterdam, which is surprising very much to Jamie because, you know, he's been there a few times and stuff. But Roy basically says and. I got to get your thoughts on this line because he says it's like a Disney version of an old city. It all looks so fake. I mean, did, were those fighting words for you, Craig? Every time Disney's mentioned in this show, my heart actually sings. So even if Roy Kent is trying to be negative about it, we know that Brett Goldstein's favorite film of all time is Muppets, Muppets Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol so yeah. <laughs> we know that Disney has his heart. But I, I will say I, I just love that like he was looking around and Amsterdam does look really beautiful in yeah. this um, in this particular episode, I think it's shot really well and you get to kind of see the city both at in the day and also at night as well. And so, no, I don't think that it is a um, insult at all to say that the city looks very Disney-esque. I believe that that is actually a major compliment from Roy Kent uh, coming out of his mouth and talking about how great Disney really is. <laughs> right, everybody? I mean, at the very least, he's saying that everything looks uh, pristine at Disney, right? So uh, almost not quite That's right. real. <laughs> but um, so he basically, though, does like Jamie says, like he's not even from there, but he's insulted. Uh, but he really points out like a little windmill that's along the canal. And he's just like, you know, it's all fake. And so Jamie literally just gets this giant light bulb. And again, Jamie really has just like this little kid vibe this entire time because it's just like all of a sudden he's just like, we need bikes and just runs away and everything like that um so this turns into though um roy eventually comes back on jamie uh, waiting on a corner and some kind of i didn't want to call him homeless because i don't know what the homeless situation is like in amsterdam but some kind of dirtier scummier looking guy <laughs> well, yeah, he's, a, he's just a bike he's just a bike dealer that's all oh, yeah he's just well, there you go run of the mill bike dealer run of the mill bike dealer yeah because someone that knows how to get you things when well, you want i mean i guess when you know drugs are legal you know you gotta deal something on the side so <laughs> dealing with bikes i guess um but this is great because he appears out of nowhere and he gets two bikes uh for roy and for uh jamie um and this is where roy tells them and admits like he's resistant because he doesn't know how to ride a bike and jamie and the man absolutely do a great belly laugh about this and stuff but then we get some serious stuff here because roy tells jamie that it's because when he went to sunderland when he was really young um his granddad told him he would teach him to ride a bike when he came back for christmas but of course as we already learned from the Two Aces episode in season one, uh, his grandfather died uh, before he could come back for that Christmas. And so he never uh, learned to ride. And then a very fast line delivery from Brett Goldstein here about how, you know, it's kind of, you know, messed up that he didn't honor his grandfather by learning how to do that. And that he's transferring some of his anger onto his training with Jamie and blah, 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 blah. Um, that was one of my Tedisms, just okay. so you're aware. Well, I did uh, not quote it, the, quote it. So <laughs> this is the fourth week in a row that you've stolen one of my Tedisms. Hey, that least. was a, that was a paraphrase at the very least. I didn't go, okay. come anywhere close to getting all of those because <laughs> it was way too fast and everything. But then you're right that we get this amazing sequence of Jamie teaching Roy to ride a bike. And this is just a straight up little kid dad correlation here. And 
you know, just the fact that, you know, we've got Burt Backrat's raindrops keep falling on my head playing and that that is literally a direct parallel to the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid because, of course, that song plays over a scene in that movie where they're learning how to ride a bike as well. So um, it's a very, very fun little call out there. If you haven't seen Butch Cassidy, an amazing film, one of the best of all time. Um, and, you know, eventually Roy gets it and he just yells at the top of his <laughs> top of his lungs that they're going to go find a windmill. So what did this whole thing do to you? You already talked about it a little bit here with your story about Kirk and everything, but like, what are you feeling like as the further exploits of these two are getting going here? I just love that. Like I said, like it's really turning the relationship on its head and, and to think about like progressions in relationships and progression in character development. I talked a little bit, you know, 10 hours ago about uh, Rebecca <laughs> Welton's progression and how uh, she's really coming out of her shell and kind of being able to be comfortable um, kind of from that gala episode to now and, and going back to for the children and into that gala episode where really Jamie and Roy are just polar opposites and they just can't, they can't come together for anything, even when Ted desperately tries. And so now to see them not only become, uh, you know, working together as a mentor and a mentee, but to really this budding friendship between the two of them and seeing them kind of ride through this city uh, at night on their bikes in it, it just to me really propels those two characters as they come together. I really enjoyed um, the the interaction that they were able to have. I, I loved it. What about you? Yeah, this is, this is really getting into probably the best couple on the show here. <laughs> if we're being honest. The, the best couple, yeah. I sure. mean, we got to call them Joy, right? Jamie Roy. Um, so... <laughs> The, it brings me a lot of joy. Yeah, it so. brings me so much joy. But yeah, I mean, like it's, it's better because than uh, Rami. Rami, yeah. Rami, <laughs> Roymi, Roymi, Roymi is Romy. There you go, <laughs> Romy. <laughs> anyway, there is, but you're right. Like the like the fact that we've been invested in Jamie's like redemption arc ever since the beginning of this series, and now Roy is kind of seeing the merit in it. And you know, you remember from season two, like all Jamie wants is for Roy to teach him. Um, and now that he's finally getting it, I think, you know, with the how this episode ends and everything, we are getting a Jamie Tart run. Um, of goals and stuff. I bet you he's uh, going to be first in line for the golden boot, uh, so to speak. That's a World Cup thing, but whatever the Premier League equivalent of that is that I can't quite think yeah. of right now. Um, but so in your in your scene for the finale, you've got Jamie Tart, who's just been on a tear through the Premier League, and he's going to pass. Pass. He's going to do thing. the, the one that extra more pass. pass over to Colin. Colin is then going to score. And immediately guiding light by Mumford and Sons is going to start. That go. is your, this is your like peak lasso finale right there. A seven minute version of guiding light by Mumford and Sons that wraps up all of our main characters stories. Yes, that is the ending. AJ, Mel, make it so everyone. <laughs> so, um, well, let's get into uh, kind of the final scene that we get with these two um, together in this story arc. And this is kind of a, a big one here where we learn a lot more about Jamie um, and a little bit more about uh, Roy as well, though. Um, so Jamie and Roy, they're riding their bikes together down the river and Jamie apologizes for 
for, as he says, being a dick earlier. Um, and he says that he's actually been to Amsterdam twice. One time was with his dad when he was 14. Um, and he said that his dad was trying to get back with his mom. And so he was overdoing all the dad stuff, trying to be like a super dad thing. So he said uh, to Jamie's mom that he was uh, taking him there for a football match. But after the match, he uh, took him to the red light district for what he really wanted, which was for Jamie to lose his virginity to one of the prostitutes there when he was 14. So Roy says that that must have been traumatizing. And Jamie, like, again, I just love that, like, no matter how real Jamie gets, he's still got that airheadness about him that he just doesn't quite get it. Um, because, you know, he's just like, no, it wasn't traumatizing. She loved it and stuff like that. But then I don't know about you. Like, it's a funny line there from him. But then he kind of realizes what Roy's asking him. And did you get the sense that, like, he doesn't quite know what to do with that thought that that was a traumatizing event. I mean, were, were you reading that same thing? Mm-hmm, absolutely. I'm, I'm right on the same page as you for sure. Yeah. Because that was just kind of like, and again, I love how Phil plays it because yeah, he's just sort of like, Oh, um, maybe when, uh, I don't know, you know, like it's, so I don't know if you really can't remember if he's just like, eh, I can't quite deal with that and everything. But he then tells about how he came back with his mom. Um, and that uh, a couple years later and that they did all the tourist things. And he says again, Craig, like this is all about fathers of this show is it really is. And he says that even though his dad wasn't there, he still sort of was. And that kind of like goes into, I think the pathology of like Jamie never being truly able to get over his dad, to get rid of his dad, to like really get over what his dad has done to him and stuff. So even though he's there having this amazing time with his mom in Amsterdam, all he can really think about at times in that, that trip was the previous trip. You know, that's like the kind of lasting effects of trauma, even if you don't really recognize it at the time. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the whole extent of trauma. Right. And um, so it, I, I just love how the, interactions that these two like they're feeling like they can be vulnerable with each other mm. when uh, again the the character growth and development uh moving towards where we're going in this finale with these two is that like at the beginning they were so in their shell or they were so um unable to be vulnerable and that vulnerability has really come out in both of them and i really just think that that's great writing. I mean, it's great to see them in a way where um, we've got the antagonist of season one coming together really with the hero of season one and they're meeting in season three in this way, in this like romantic city and uh, riding through it at night and just being able to share some of these past experiences that they've both had. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. So um, basically, they do find their windmill um, and everything. Uh, Roy says that uh, he thinks Keeley has a girlfriend and everything like that after he apologizes for uh, being a bit of a dick. And uh, they agree to go find some windmill. So again... Roy is still not quite dealing with uh, the breakup with Keely in a good way. I feel like I feel like there's just still so much unreserved things. And whereas I might have thought at the beginning of the season that maybe Jamie is a viable option for Keely in this season, I don't quite feel that way anymore. I don't know. Are you are you on the same wavelength with me there? Yeah, I I'm I'm right with you on all of these different takes with uh, Jamie and Roy. And like I I just think. You know, the Keeley thing is going to be interesting because is this Jack relationship something that is going to have some degree of permanence or is it going to come back to this again, like what is developing as a love dodecahedron um, with <laughs> Keeley? And 
what direction is she going to go? Or is she just that independent woman at the end that decides that she doesn't need the relationship? You know, I, I just, we don't get Keely in this episode. I yeah. think that that's maybe like the, the only downside to this episode, you know, it's interesting. We're recording this actually um, while others have the ability to watch this. And right. so we hardly ever get the opportunity to see reactions come in, but reactions kind of pouring into our Facebook page. And I've seen it on Twitter that a lot of people are saying this is their favorite episode of Lasso, maybe even ever. Mm. And um, because of the the different storylines that we're getting, but I do wish we would have gotten some more Keely in this, but you know, beggars, choosers, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. But, you know, obviously we all love Roy and Jamie, but let's get to the meat of this episode, my good man here, Ted and Beard's storyline, um, because I think more than anything, this is going to set us up for what the rest of the season has in store for at least the Greyhounds on the field. Um, but definitely a lot for Ted to deal with here as well in his search for purpose, so to speak. So um, the night begins with them in their uh, hotel room um, and uh, Ted is uh, texting Rebecca, Rebecca asking if she wants to come with them but of course at this point Rebecca's phone is gone so he's not going to get any answers um and Beard is telling him this story about this player uh this Dutch player Johan Cruyff uh in the 1974 World Cup he had to wear um actually a special uh kit a special shirt um because he had a conflicting sponsorship with Puma and the kit makers of the World Cup were actually made by Adidas and so Adidas has the um iconic three stripe um you know design and everything but they actually made a special two stripe shirt just for this guy because he had a competing uh, deal with uh, with uh, Puma at the time so and really the reason that was there is because he was such a great player that he had kind of the cachet to do that so he compares that with when Michael Jordan refused to wear Reebok shoes at the 1992 Olympics because obviously there's a movie out about this right now Michael Jordan was very much into Nike um, at the time so um, it's one of those things um, you know that's an interesting parallel and not the last time we see Michael Jordan uh, in this episode or indeed the Chicago Bulls. Um, but he, uh, Beard asked Ted if he's picked a place to eat yet. He hones in on this American restaurant because of course he does <laughs> everything. And Beard says, no, we're not 2. doing 7. that. Yeah. 2.7, but out of five. <laughs> which is, again, great line delivery and everything. Um, but Ted uh, gives us a Tedism that really kind of laments his current funk that he's in, that he feels like he just can't quite get out of it and everything. Um, but he feels like he needs to be inspired. And so Beard basically says that he's been waiting for a long time for him to say that. And what's his solution? Well, it's a specialty. <laughs> well, technically it's drugs, but, I, and I don't know about you, I was assuming mushrooms of some kind um, just because of the way Definitely he some about. hallucinogenics. I don't think yeah. that they ever really specify but i do appreciate that he puts it in t yeah which of course is that's probably the tedism of the episode which we'll get to but um he basically does this great metaphor about snow and and stuff about how it opens up your mind and everything um but literally like uh, jason's physical comedy here is amazing as he tries to drink the tea but he just can't do it and of course beard has downed uh the entire thing um and so um, let's, let's just go through there. What's your kind of thoughts on like Ted's again, his crisis of confidence just keeps continuing here. Yeah. He's still not understanding like what his real purpose is. And that's why I'm glad that later on we get the, we finally get, uh, less of a forlorn Ted. You know, a lot of people have been commenting on that, uh, as we move through this first half of the third season that, you know, Ted just seems so kind of depressed and down and all of that. But like, 
I just appreciate that we get a little bit of the optimism back in Ted and we get a little bit of that motivation and that drive and, and beard has been there throughout it all. I mean, God, what's a best friend for, right? Yeah. And so that's uh, he's he's with them when he needs that little bit of boost when Henry is being a bully and he says, you know what, Henry's going to turn out fine because you're his dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know those little lines that we get from Beard every single week that are just positive affirmation that Ted needs because Ted's Mr. Positive, but even Mr. Positive needs someone in their corner. And that's always been beard for him. And so I uh, appreciate that (laughs) Ted is going to try the hallucinogenics. um, It seems like for the first time from the way that they're talking about all of this. And so uh, I'm sure Beard has been trying this for years to get him to do this, right? Yeah, probably. I would I would assume there because, of course, we all know Beard uh, is up for literally anything. Um, and you know, when we come back to them, the he's it seems Beard is starting to like feel the effects. He's like rubbing the chair, the arms of the chair, very weirdly. Um, and Ted still hasn't drank the tea, but he uh, basically tells Beard like, you know, if you want to leave, and he immediately just bolts for the door and everything like that. So Beard off on another one night adventure. Maybe we'll get that as a bonus feature or someday um but um uh ted still hasn't there but he's watching tv um and i just love this though because he shows that he's uh, been texting rebecca multiple times of course not answering um he stares at the t and then we get a shot of the television and it is keely doing another of these like explore the city promos which is absolutely hilarious to me what a great callback to season one to make rebecca great again um and again i'm assuming it's a new one but it definitely looks like the same outfit and hairstyle so i'm guessing she just did like a bunch of these like all in one day no, it was totally just dubbed didn't you hear like oh like, was it just the I same one and it's I'm, just dubbed over? i think it was the exact same one and it was just dubbed okay but listeners let me know if i'm wrong there um for sure but remember in a kind curious and not judgmental way, uh, let me know that I'm wrong. But yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the same thing. It was just dubbed. Now, I, I, before you get too much further down the road, um, we haven't really talked about Ted and his texting Rebecca. And I think that that's something that we definitely need to hit on in this episode. Sure, go for is it. Is kind of his, uh, he sends her what? At the end, he says something like 12 texts and three funny gifts. Three, un- well. yeah, unlaughed, unhahad gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I, I don't know where I'm at with that. So, you know, like Ted is going through basically a slump right now. I mean, the Mm -hmm. the team isn't doing well. Uh, He just found out that Henry was bullying others at school. He's got this whole Dr. Jacob thing uh, in the back of his mind. And all the while he doesn't even understand why he's still in Richmond. And so I just think that is he using Rebecca here as uh, his support system? Uh, is there potentially something more there? I think that's when the, the Ted Becca army could come <laughs> out and and kind of read it either way. But what about you, Jer? Where are you at with the fact that he texted her so many times in this one night span. Well, yeah. And I think like, I don't know if it portends like how much he texts her just in an everyday life, but you know, he definitely is feeling about as isolated as he probably has ever felt there. Um, you know, Beard is not there anymore. He's off on his adventures. The whole team doesn't have a curfew, so they're not even around, or at least as far as he knows, around the hotel. We definitely know that they are. Um, but, yeah, I think that that is, you know, maybe that's his last 
lifeline left, so to speak. And so when Rebecca is off on her own adventure sans phone, yeah, I think I think you could make the case that that is the catalyst for why Ted finally does drink the tea there. You know, he's just like, really, what's left to lose? Like, you know, now that Rebecca's not answering him uh, this night, just like, all right, you know what? Forget this. Let's try something new um, because mm-hmm. obviously the old stuff is not working. So, um, but yeah, I think you're you're on a good track there um, and everything like that. And of course, man, the, the unending beauty of what happens after that <laughs> with Ted because um, as per Trent Krim, Amsterdam museums on this night are open late. Um, so even though he goes out late, he still finds his way to the Van Gogh museum um, in Amsterdam. I'm told this museum is absolutely breathtaking. Um, absolutely need to go there uh, someday. Um, but uh, we get a lot of like really great shots here, but he fixates on the sunflowers uh, painting, which of course is the namesake of this episode um, and is definitely going to come in handy here. A museum worker uh, gives him this amazing quote, definitely going to be in my Tedisms and I'm going to do all of it. But the the general gist of it is, is just like Van Gogh, you know, found beauty, even though he was tortured. And, you know, when you think you've found your purpose, you have to keep going basically. Um, and, you know, I think this, like, you know, Ted then tells this guy though, that in his home state of Kansas, the sunflower is the state flower. Um, and so I think there's just all these beautiful meldings of things that is getting him to kind of understand that even though he might feel out of place at Richmond, even though he might not feel quite at home, that per his conversation with Dr. Sharon in the season two, he is doing what he's doing. Coaching is what he is meant to be doing. Is that, is that, was that your kind of read on this whole thing? Absolutely. He's 100% that like, this is uh, where he's starting to get that affirmation of this is why he's here. And this is what he's supposed to be doing. Um, and so I loved this scene. I loved the sunflowers. I love the connection back to Kansas because it helps him remember what he, why he's there and what he's doing this for. And I, I just really enjoyed that. I also just wanted to, yeah. again, I provide all the tangents for you, but <laughs> in the last 10 hours since we've recorded i've actually gone to see a one-man show all about vincent van gogh <laughs> what and so i needed to uh call out and i know he's i believe he's a listener i know he was at some point but our good friend drew stroud drew. Uh, and his wife carly stroud um he put on this one-man show and she was directing him in it and so it's called exhausted paint the death of van gogh uh it's a play by justin maxwell and it was so beautiful mm. so well done uh they toured kind of around central Illinois because they're they lived here uh, for a while, and now he's an MFA student down in uh, Louisiana. And so I, I think they said in about a month and a half, they're going to be touring it in the Denver area. So there if you're you in go, the Denver people. area, go and check out Drew. Um, that seriously, breathtaking tonight. So thank you, Ju- Drew, for your uh, art and creativity that you put into the world tonight. But yeah, it, it just it was a good connection point because and then I got to walk up to him afterwards because I knew he was a Lasso fan and I was just like, tonight this episode's for you (laughs) van gogh museum coming up tonight and uh and so he really appreciated that too but thanks again drew but no i just i i I love what the curator tells him i love this message to ted because like we kind of need ted to kind of get out of his slump and just get off his ass and and start doing what ted lasso does and he starts that in the belief speech he does that for himself but then even after the believe speech they go to this friendly and they get their butts kicked right <laughs> yeah. and so it's hard because like you think that that one motivating speech like that mo- that moment is going to 
turn around all the momentum and it's going to be great. And then all of the sudden you lose again. Mm -hmm. And so I just really appreciate that this is kind of bringing Ted back because between the museum and then the the stop at uh, the Yankee Doodle Burger Bar, uh, we're going to get Ted Lasso back by the yeah. end of this episode. And I think there's a very keen reason why they choose this too, Craig, because I think most of this is Ted getting back to his roots and getting back to understanding what his soul, like what his purpose on this earth is. He might not feel it as much in the beginning of the season as he's there in Richmond, but you know, what it made me think of is just like, he's talking about the sunflower being the state flower of Kansas. He goes to the American restaurant and you know, the, the burger bar and he sits in the Midwest section of the Chicago table and everything like that. And he's brought the Bryant's uh, uh, barbecue, which I think is from, uh, or maybe it wasn't Bryant's. I can't remember. Uh, I think it's Bryant's. Yeah, Arthur Bryant's. Yeah. Yeah. And it's from Kansas city. Yeah. So that's the barbecue sauce that he says is his favorite and stuff like that. And you know, he sees the dark game going on in that building and in that restaurant as well. I think that what this is all conjuring up in his head is remembering where his love of coaching came from, where all of this was reminding and finding in the weirdest of places in Amsterdam of all places, these little remembrances of Kansas. And it's, I think spurring in him because as he said earlier, he's looking for inspiration and he's finding it in these unusual places. And it's like sparking that inside of him. And that's really what goes there. So of course, as he's going in there, he, uh, you know, talks about this. What was your reaction to like, I thought there was an interesting look on his face when he saw the dark game. Were you, were you reading anything there? You know, I didn't, I guess I didn't read into that too much. You, you tell me what you thought. Well, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't see that. It wasn't like melancholy or anything, but like he notices the dark game, but it's not like a smile on his face. It's more like a quizzical look, you know? And so maybe it's more, he's like, it's just taking him aback. It's just like, Oh yeah. Like darts and everything. And he's got his Kansas city barbecue sauce. And you know, he's like, you know, seeing all this Midwest paraphernalia around the room and stuff like, so maybe it's kind of him just like, man, this is trippy. This is like, I'm home, but I'm not, uh-huh. you know, type of I'm thing. home, but I'm not. And, and even the little Roxy heart, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lip exactly. shits. <laughs> uh, but like, I, yeah, I could kind of see that. I think that this is Ted in like kind of a weird, headspace clearly because he's going to go into what he assumes to be uh, a hallucination which of course we find out later this is going to be an interesting thing i want to know what the rest of the community thinks about this because it definitely is kind of jarring when it happens right but right because it's definitely not ted lasso right like i mean like we haven't really had something like this but also um it is supposed to be kind of like it's played as though it's a hallucination i gotta tell you at first when they brought him back when they when they took uh Jason and, and kind of panned back. I thought it was going to be a musical number at first. And I, I was too, like, actually. where I was like, where are they going with this? Um, also, I don't know if you noticed in the credits, but it said uh, God as herself. Uh, so yeah. it's supposed to be the voice of God. Uh, and of course it's like a deep man's voice, but true of course spirit we of adventure woman, right? there. Um, but so to, to get us into that and get us a little bit of context and everything, um, you know, on the television near where he is, um, they're playing an old Chicago bulls game. I believe it's an NBA finals game against the Utah jazz. I want to say, um, I remember watching that series. Do not quote me on this, but I want to say like 1997 or 1998, um, was that, that checks year. out. I feel uh, like it was, it was, 
part two of the three Pete, right? Yeah, yeah. It was definitely the second half of the second three Pete, um, because uh-huh. he just made some um, incredible plays. Guys, I can't stress this for you enough. If you could find old footage of Michael Jordan, there's nothing like watching this guy play basketball. It was it was unfair. <laughs> Check out the flu game. The flu game alone, um, but the, he was just. It has like a, a hundred and two fever and just, yeah, just still scores buckets. all these points. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like the shrug shoot? Like after he makes a basket, the playoff game, he's just like, I don't know. I'm just doing it. <laughs> it's just greatness on another level, man. Uh, but so, but basically the commentary there is uh, talking about the Bulls famous triangle offense. And so, um, you know, rather than do that though, there's an interesting thing that happens here is that you see triangles all throughout this scene all of a sudden. Um, you know, obviously he's got this mountain of onion rings that are in a pyramid configuration, which of course he talks about later. But then three triangles. It's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But then there's an interesting thing that happens, which is it cuts back to him and it's the same low shot of the table looking up at him. And the camera stops focusing on him and it focuses on the three condiment bottles that are in the middle of the table. And then we cut back to the TV and then it cuts back and all of a sudden the shot is now refocused on Ted. So again, little tricks to get us into like a triangle frame of mind here. Um, But of course, also this scene is uh, notable because Nate shows up as one of the waiters in this hallucination. Does like a nice little howdy, Ted, before he walks away. Nick Muhammad, thank you for showing up uh, here in Amsterdam. You are needed for a scene. Um, so it's good that we got everybody, all the big cast in here. Um, but yeah, let's get into this like big hallucination here because you're right. He's sucked up into the middle of the room. We've got a dramatic stage spotlight on him and this big voice that says he's it's the true spirit of adventure. <laughs> and he keeps calling him TSA. But he goes through and gives Ted this history lesson of triangles. Um, he goes through Pythagoras into like, you know, the, um, uh, you know, uh, spiritual meanings of triangles throughout the year. And, and of course, calls out the spooky thing on the back of the one dollar bill <laughs> because of all of that. Um, but he also then gets to text winter the bulls assistant coach who came up with the triangle offense and he does this great explanation about and if you've never heard of this everyone the triangle offense was innovative because it was a way of moving the ball in a half court offense on in basketball where there's always two options for the person who has the ball and the way that the rest of the court on the other side moves is that there's even more options for whoever gets that ball so there's always a three like headed monster here that can always be there and so the basic premise of it is you're constantly moving you're constantly creating a situation where the defense is off kilter and it was innovative at the time and it still is like if you can perfectly run a triangle offense it's almost unguardable um, if you've got people who can run it uh, perfectly Um, but this obviously sparks in Ted something and he finally understands and he starts furiously scribbling in the Van Gogh notebook that he got at the um at the thing there so how did this whole sequence hit you Craig because again it is trippy it's weird as hell um it took me a second but I kind of dug it I did too I at first I kind of thought I would hate it yeah because I thought it was going to be a musical number again and then when it wasn't and you start seeing like all of the uh, the graphics going on around it. I just think that, like, and honestly, like, I didn't at first necessarily even think hallucination from the T, I, I guess. Like, I got that later when Beard was talking about how it was a dud batch and everything. But I just, um, I, I enjoyed that you kind of got to see what goes on in Ted Lasso's head. Yeah. I kind of took it more as that. And I understand that like the way Jason's acting this, it does seem like he's kind of out of his element. So maybe this isn't 
normal. Like this isn't right, like right, right. how his head is always going. But it is kind of interesting that like um, the the way that the voice builds on itself uh, as far as like it is almost kind of like that stream of conscious thinking that we are used to Ted Lasso doing. And so yeah. um, in a way, maybe it is kind of like a peek inside Ted's head. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, a fun way to do this. And like you said, just seeing all the threes as well, in addition to the pyramid, come on, Chance the Rapper, Chicago's own. Uh-huh. Um, we got to uh, got to see him in here as well. And so I just, uh, I, I thought it was a really innovative way to show us what was going on inside of Ted's head. What did you think about it? Yeah, I was, you're, you're right there with me um, in terms of like what I thought of it. Cause you're right. Like he says, like, you know, the TSA voice says like bingo Ringo and you know, like these are absolutely things like Ted would say and everything. And again, I think like, you know, Ted's already there and he's thinking about it, but this is just like a psychedelic way of like illustrating what's going on in his mind. Um, and so you're right. I think it's not meant to be taken as a literal thing. It's definitely meant to be something inside of him. Um, but you know, he's looking for that spark of creation, so to speak. Um, and I think he got it right there now real quick what do you think the significance of nate being in this is because i think it's probably just like a subconscious thing that again there's unresolved issues here and that it's not going to leave his mind until he deals with it 100 percent, absolutely he was only there for a second and that's exactly right nick muhammad has a hilarious american accent yeah i absolutely <laughs> love that uh and but no i i think you you hit it i mean he's it's just subconsciously nate's always on his mind yeah, exactly. Right? Um, until right. until he actually deals with it. And I don't know that he's ready to deal with it. I mean, maybe he's going to get there and maybe we'll see that progression even more in the next episode. Because remember back to when Beard was like, I know you're messed up because you're not even acknowledging the fact that Nate hurt you. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is us visually being able to start to see him acknowledging that Nate hurt him. Yeah, I think so. And I hope it does happen there because we still got that scene from the trailer where Ted and Henry are watching a West Ham match. Um, and it definitely and Henry's looks like, wearing West Ham. Yeah. Kit. And it definitely looks like Nate's like uncomfortable with it. So I think you're right. Like maybe when the team starts winning, Ted figures out like that. He still is a very good coach and everything like that. Um, you know, he can start to try to mend and support Nate in the way that Nate thought he wasn't before type of thing. And, you know, but I don't know, it's going to be an interesting way to deal with that but um real quick we get this amazing let's get lost sequence as uh as the higgins is playing at the jazz club just a few things that happen in here the pillow fight is going on during this it looks absolutely fantastic and then we get this really really fun stuff of trent and colin dancing away at the club we assume the party that the bartender was telling them about later um but i don't know about you man but this did my heart some good because they look like they're having so much fun it looks like colin found his vanilla vodka and trent reluctantly took <laughs> took a shot of it um Again, that just sounds terrible. Uh, Roy and Jamie find their windmill. They ride away, and Rebecca and the man are dancing and stuff like that. Um, and then we learn that Ted has been at the restaurant for a very, very long time, and he's got so many condiment bottles on his table now. He's clearly doing a lot of strategy um, and stuff like that. And, of course, Roy still crashes his bike at the end, um, and uh, Higgins gets some massive applause because he slays it. Really, really fun stuff. Uh, I love it because, again, we've been disparate. These six stories have been so disparate, and now they're drawn together at the very end so that we can get to our finale getting into that finale we're back at the bus will is loading everything and beard is dropped off by 
I guess you would say a psychedelic bus. Um, he is dressed as David Bowie's Iggy Stardust character, but with a pig snout on his face. More on that in a second. And he speaks fluent Dutch. <laughs> of course he does. Why of course he? he does. And of course, Will asks him if he does speak Dutch, and he basically says, don't tell Jan. <laughs> so he doesn't want Jan Moss to know that he speaks Dutch. Maybe more on that later. And then, of course, this is where Will tells his mom on the phone that uh, that nice couple invited him for a threesome. So, yay, everybody is nice happy couple. there. Um, but uh, Beard goes to the back of the bus. Ted is furiously still writing in this. Um, and, of course, Ted accurately guesses Piggy Sardis, um, which is great. The Halloween costumes abound here. Um, and so, you know, Ted says that he shouldn't have let him roam with a head full of tea, but Beard tells him that the batch actually was bad, that it wasn't, uh, you know, there weren't any actual psychedelics in there. And so... What did you take from that, Craig? So, like, why do you think we still got, like, the psychedelic sequence when it comes to Ted? Do you think that it was just literally him being willing to, like, think in a different way? Yeah, I could see that. I think that that's a good take on it. I think that it's also possible that, you know, again, like, going back to it, I I think that this could be, like, sort of what's in Ted's mind at times. Although... You know, maybe not because he he really is kind of adverse to it, isn't he? So I think I could see what you're saying. It's like that he's open to the thought that he needs to do something different here and that this is what just ultimately opening his mind is, even without like the use of a hallucinogenic <laughs> as well. So. Yeah, I can kind of see it that way. Yeah, for Mark and the uh, you know Med Lasso people, you me, placebo you helped effect. me go on a long walk there around. Yeah. A, it was like a circular walk, but I did finally reach back up with myself again. Yeah, it's basically a placebo effect that's happening there. It gives him the uh, appearance that he's going to do it. So basically, Ted shows Beard what he's been working on, um, and it's basically the triangle offense from the Bulls in a soccer form. Um, he basically says that like the team's been playing too rigid and stuff. I don't know if this is one of your Tedisms or not. Um, I wrote it down. Um, but like paraphrasing wise, basically they just need more freedom on the field. And so he thinks that this will do it. Um, and I did note though, on the last pages of his book though, it's a drawing of the sunflowers in a vase. And then there's a, the word triangle in four different ways. So at first it says triangles is one word. Then it says try TRI and then dash angles. So like that, then it goes to TRY try dash angles. And then just two separate words, try angles. Um, and so again, this is quite amazing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that could probably be gleaned from that beard. Asked him if he came up with it by himself. Um, Ted says, yes. And he says, well, you should call it total football because that's, it was invented here in Holland in the 1970s. So again, it's great that Ted came upon this, but yes, this is a football tactic that has been tried before. Um, but you know, Ted doesn't, he isn't really deterred by this. He basically says like, well, okay, do you think we should try it? And beard is very pleased and says like, yes, of course they should. And I don't know. I took that Craig as meaning beard sees like Ted is back in his element here, you know, mm -hmm. like he's strategizing and he's taking an interest in the strategy of football now, you know? And he's good to have him back. I mean, like he's, he's glad he's right there. Like, um, you know, this comes back, this is a callback to goodness and listeners, you know, you should know that it's very late as we're recording this, but the episode where we get in the crown and anchor where beard finally says like, no, you know what? We can win. Winning is part of this. So we know that, uh, that beard has that fighting spirit in him. And I think he's just happy to see his friend coming back around. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely here. So um, Rebecca enters the bus. She's very relaxed. She's obviously had a great night. Um, you know, uh, Roy and Jamie ride up on the bike. And I just love how, like, Jamie, like, yells, we saw a windmill, and everybody's, like, so happy for him and stuff. It's very apparent that Jamie is, like, the new Zava of this team, like, in that he's mm-hmm. always been there. He should have been anyway. He said it from the beginning. Um, you know, Rebecca puts her feet up on it's the table. as if he was Zava. As if he was Zava. Zava said it. Yes. <laughs> um, but Ted asks if Rebecca's fine, and she starts singing uh, the Three Little Birds song again. Don't worry about a thing. Because <laughs> every little thing. It's going to be, be all right. right. Yep, exactly. So Beard joins in on this too. And then eventually the whole team is singing this song. And it's interesting. How the much song fun that, would that have been? Oh, I, man. I, there, there are moments in this show where you go, I wish I was on that set. Um, yep. One of them, of course, is the moment uh, during It's the Hope That Kills You in the locker room after mm. they lose. To just be around that magic that happens in that scene. Yeah. This is another scene. How amazing would it have been on that bus just singing that song uh, with the cast? That would have been incredible. I would have paid any amount of money to be in there. Yeah, because we get this long tracking shot. And again, like what you get from this shot all the way to the front of the bus is that this team finally seems to have turned their corner. Like, you know, they've dealt with what they need to deal with um, metaphorically literally everything like that there's a few notable notable moments here uh i noticed roy was actually singing along which was fantastic um we see that uh will is now playing airbase along with higgins but the one that really got me craig was colin tapping and holding on to trent's arm who's sitting in the seat in front of him and trent giving him a little smile over his shoulder and everything like that um this really does feel like, okay, guys, if you've been a little consternatious like us in this first half of the season, if you've been worried about how bad they've been seemingly on the roller coaster, literally the song is literal for us, the fans. Everything is going to be all right. This team seems to have turned the corner. Is that where you're at? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's a meta uh, message out there to the fans that everything's going to be all right. But I also think that it fits so well in – bringing this story to a close all of these divergent storylines that end up back on the same bus and we've got rebecca saying you know not that long ago just a a day ago in holland uh to say that that song was depressing and then now she's leading the team and singing it on the bus uh, on the way back to richmond i just think that it's like a great circular way to wrap up our episode here. Yeah, absolutely. So, man, we've been talking for about an hour and 45 minutes here. (laughs) I got to tell you, uh, you made fun of me earlier today when I said we were going to do another hour um, when we came back to record. And here we are at another hour. So that means we got to get Larry Smith out of here. Like Larry, you know, we're paying overtime, man. Yeah. Once a week. And he's been waiting a really long time to come out. And so I just think that we need to let him out right now, Jeremy. Larry, get your butt in here. Tedisms. For each week, we share biscuits of truth. All right, folks. Tedisms. Let's get into this. Craig, why don't you kick us off here? Which one? Almost. You said it earlier, like forever ago when we talked about it, that there was a later Tedism that came first in the episode. For me, it was just Ted saying, man, this sport drives me nuts. Yeah. When he's talking about the difference between an exhibition and a friendly. I, I love I just love that because like this is still a guy that is managing a Premier League club and still just every day is surprised 
by the sport. And I, I thought that was very cute and clever way to, to add that in there. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to get the profanity laden one out of the way here. Roy Kent, uh, when interviewed by the Dutch media and asked about Richmond's poor play and he goes, who cares? It's a fucking friendly friendly is a pretend match. This is a pretend conversation. You're a pretend person with a pretend job and I'm having a really hard time pretending to give a shit. (laughs) Just absolutely excellent. I, like Brett needs one of these in every episode. That is fantastic. And I, I like that. You know, I don't know if it rises to the level of Tedism, so I didn't actually quote it directly. But I love Rebecca's response to Roy. I got it. She. Oh, you do. Okay, go ahead. No, I mean, like, but yeah, when Roy asked where she's going, and now maybe I heard this wrong, but I heard somewhere as opposed to someone. So did I. I put it down as someone, but I think when I listened back, it was actually somewhere. So, yeah, somewhere that believes they deserve her. Because, again, that's Roy's whole problem. He doesn't think he does deserve her. So, ooh, that punched him in the gut. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let me see. Uh, well, the the big one is right there Uh, can i steal the big one am i allowed to take it absolutely that's like hiding poop inside a smoothie of a barf (laughs) when he's talking sarah cracked up so hard on that line (laughs) like that is like hiding poop inside a smoothie smoothie of barf a smoothie Um, of barf he's talking about (laughs) drinking the tea i that yes put that on a shirt we got it. Yeah. We got it. Come on, Patrick at Reverie Apparel. Let's do this. And so the other one too here from a beard, another good one, another riddle one where he says, only you can get these guys out of their pineapple percussions, which of course means doldrums. Doldrums. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of beard, I like when he said, I don't say this often enough because generally I think it's implied, but trust but me. But trust me. I loved that line, man. I <laughs> loved that line. I was like, yes. I mean, it's about doing drugs. But, you know, like, yeah. I just, I loved that. Like, generally, I think it's implied. But trust yeah, me. Just, again, just really great little insights into everything. And, of course, because it's the first time this season, 10 a.m., baby. <laughs> All right. So, there is. <laughs> yeah, you got to do your baby every time. Got my first baby in there. Um, and then I also just love, like, when uh, Roy finally gets his bike right. He's going, let's go find a fucking windmill. <laughs> and Jamie, of course, yells out for granddad. <laughs> like, that was just such a great moment there. Colin has a great moment before he fakes his sickness uh, and leaves the team where he says, I didn't come to Amsterdam to learn things. To learn and that's things. in response to Trent Krim. But it's ironic because, of course, Colin learned so much about himself in this episode, right? So yeah. I kind of, I really love that. And he learns it from Trent. And yeah. so I just loved that, like, that's just stellar writing, man. Yes. Like, where you can get those different levels. That line seems like nothing, uh, that that's a throwaway line. But then when you listen back to it on a second time, you're like, oh, yeah. He did come to Amsterdam he to learn did. things. He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, you did learn things. Um, so Man on the Boat has a couple of really, really good ones here. Man um, on the Boat. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> got no name. Um, but so he has one where he talked about, you know, his relationship that ended. And he said to Rebecca, then in time, I realized that this thing didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Um, and man, if there's anybody who can, you know, recognize that kind of a thing, it's Rebecca, of course. Um, but then I had to call out his last final one too, because as she's leaving, she says like, I won't forget you. And he looks at her and he just goes, eh, you might. And then after a moment, she looks at him and he just goes, people get Alzheimer's, <laughs> which is so terrible, but also pretty funny. Um, a technically correct statement. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love man. I love man on the boat. Mystery man, whatever boat man. you call him. <laughs> uh, boat man, hunk man. Um, yes, I, I love all of his stuff. And I liked his perspective. You know, like we're talking about this divorce uh, uh, theme throughout and his perspective on their relationship ending was really unique and interesting and something that Rebecca needed to hear because of course, Rupert was cheating on her. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of parallels there as well. And so that line about happening to me, but actually happening for me, uh, that hit home with me yeah. clearly like a lot. And, you know, so I just think that it's, uh, it's, it's really, I, I like him as again, this, this character that we we get because Rebecca needed him in that moment, mm -hmm. and then now he drifts away into the Nordic seas. Yep, yep, absolutely there. So uh, I'm going to save the Van Gogh for the end because I think it's the most beautiful thing that's being written uh, in this um, episode. Here. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got to talk about Colin's monologue too. I yeah, mean, go for I, it. Like, I don't have, I don't have it all down. Billy Harris, holy moly, man, I like just incredible deliberately here but the one that i have down uh, and i tried to get it right so forgive me audience if i don't have it i have an ache for both my lives to be my only life i know we can't fix every ache inside of us but i shouldn't have to hide it either those were the two lines to me out of that whole monologue that really just like stabbed me in the gut because yeah. this guy just wants to be himself he wants to be able to be himself when he's with his team and when he's with his boyfriend or whoever he ends up seeing at that moment like it just oh yeah mm -hmm. why are we not in a place in Ugh. 2023 where people can just be themselves like ah <sighs> yeah. i wish that for our kids jeremy i yeah. I, I you know i see it um, I see it in the way that my son interacts with other people. I see it in the way that your sons interact in other people. Mm -hmm. I wish it for our kids that they can put away this petty bullshit about identity politics or whatever you want to call it and just allow people to be themselves and just love one another and treat everyone with kindness, regardless of who they are or how they identify. That's all, gotta do, that's all concept. we got to do, man. Like that's all we got to do. Yeah, exactly. Right? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean that. it's yeah. Uh, God, why 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 can't we just uh, anyway? Um, so one uh, one more funny one uh, when the TSA is asking Ted if he knows where triangles came from, he says, "I don't know. God dropped a square and it broke in half sideways or something." <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Not like too that. bad there. And of course, um, you know, okay. he also said like pyramid um, ain't nothing but a triangle. <laughs> yeah. Before you go to the last one, uh, the last one that I get from this is when he's explaining, when Ted is explaining to Beard the type of offense he wants to run now, yeah. he kind of goes through a litany of it. So the the line that I took from it that I really enjoyed was, as long as they remember to fill in the space left behind, got to have each other's backs, that's for sure. So mm -hmm. meaning that like even when they go into their other direction, somebody else has to come in and fill that void or it's not going to work. So they have to know that they have the trust of each member of the club. And I think that that's, what's going to propel them is this trust, not only in Ted and the coaching staff, but the trust in each other 
to really be able to uh, take the Premier League by storm. And I think that's exactly what we're going to start getting to see uh, episode seven on. Yeah, and he actually puts uh, another button on that where he says going from position to position until positions don't really even exist anymore, which I absolutely Mm -hmm. love. It's just like, yeah, no defense, no mid, no center. Everybody just constantly moving and somebody's going to be open and stuff like that. So that's really where it is. But um, all right, I'm going to get to the big one here because it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Part of this actually is a, a quote from Vincent Van Gogh, I believe, but um, then there's also some context added in here. So as he's looking at the Sunflowers painting, uh, the museum worker comes up to him and says, one doesn't expect to get from life what it has already learned it cannot give. Rather, one begins to see that life is a kind of sowing time and harvest is not yet here. And so then he goes on, he was just a humble preacher's son and yes, he had his demons, but it never stopped him from searching for beauty Because when you find beauty, you find inspiration. If that is, you stay as determined as Vincent. Never stop, no matter how many failures. When you know you're doing what you're meant to do, you have to try. And man, oh man, I don't know if there's anything that encapsulates the episode better than that. (laughs) Oh, just incredible stuff, man. What an amazing episode. One for the history books here. I think that this is going to be a lot of people's favorite episodes. I think some people are going to be upset at the Ted Becca of it all. (laughs) Um, But, you know, just brilliant writing uh, through and through the way they weave these stories. It just shows us why we love this show and why we keep coming back every single week. So I I loved it, man. It it was was so much fun. Hopefully we get Um, some uh, shorter stuff this next time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no kidding. We'll see if it's an hour and three uh, minute runtime. We're about at two hours for an episode. This is absolutely uh, maybe our longest episode of PB&B, but I think that our second season finale episode went pretty long too. Um, Oh, and we had the like random Josh Wiggler, uh, survivor episode i don't know if that counts which was great for his recaps but um i will say that we are working on something as a bonus episode uh to come out basically to kind of recap the uh the first half of the third season and we have a special guest joining it for us uh so be on the lookout for that and if it doesn't happen then uh you won't see it in your feed Uh, but i we are working on that Follow along with us at PBBFRN and then also join the Peanut Butter and Biscuits Facebook page if you want to be the first to know who that special guest is. And we also want to get some of your reactions so we can add those into the episode, kind of what your thoughts are uh, going into the last half of season three, which maybe the last season of Ted Lasso. We still don't have a definitive confirmation of any of that either. So you can also follow us uh, peanut butter biscuit time on Instagram as well. So go and check us out there. Jeremy, any final thoughts that you have? Nope. You encapsulated it. I hope you enjoyed this two hour episode, everyone. <laughs> and hopefully... No kidding. I need Ooh, to go man. to bed yeah. and you need to edit. Yeah. I'm making you do all the work, man. I mean, God, good thing. I don't sleep anyway. Everybody, anyway. Everybody, Jeremy doesn't sleep. That's the thing. <laughs> I, I don't know how, he does it he the man doesn't sleep we, i need my sleep i will so. sleep when i'm dead which will be early because i don't sleep anyway folks um. that is the most depressing thought you could have possibly <laughs> ended this episode on thank you you know what i'm gonna do don't worry yep there it is about a thing because every little thing <laughs> is gonna be all right indeed it all will right. everyone because you got us and we've got you all right four peanut uh, butter three little birds you know what i sang it three times in this episode you did three little birds those three i just got birds. it 
three, three triangles. Birds. Triangles. Three, triangles. Three little birds. Hmm? It's almost as if it is there. Serendipity everywhere, folks. All right, everyone. We love you all so much. Um, but for Peanut Butter and Biscuits, I'm Jeremy. I'm Craig. And as always, everyone, be a goldfish. Be a goldfish. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.